we continue in worship now in the Word, please take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. To Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Luke 19, 1 to 10. And uh, this passage is pretty short, so I want to read the whole of it in its entirety uh, for us so that we can hear the Word of God. Uh, let's listen to the Word of God. And if you want to, uh, even I know it's where we can't see each other, but if you want to even just stand up where you are at your home for the reading of God's Word, um, the Lord knows. And, uh, and so uh, join with me and stand for the reading of God's Word. Thus says the Word of God. Luke 19, 1-10. He, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Praise God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for its truths. We ask that you would Cause your word to go forth and be heard in the minds and ears of your people. Lord, may your spirit teach us this truth this morning. Help us understand what it is exactly that you want us to hear and apply in our lives. We pray that your spirit will convict us, challenge us, and show us, Lord, areas where we need to change where we need to be more conformed to Jesus Christ. Most importantly, we pray that you would increase in us a love for Jesus, a love for you, and a love for our neighbors. God, we commit this time, this preaching of your word to you. May each and every listener out there actively worship you as we hear your word, as we respond to it. Thank you, God, for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Let me begin this morning with a a personal question. At this moment in your life, right now, what is the most consuming matter for you? What are your thoughts most upon? What is reflected 
in the expenditure of your time and your energy? What absorbs you or enthralls you? Perhaps the most consuming matter for you at this point in your life is something material, like a a new phone, the iPhone 12, for instance, or a new car, or a new home. Perhaps it's on some pursuit, like your education, school, a job, career, your vacation, maybe even a, a pursuit of a bucket list item. Or just as likely in light of current events, what consumes you at this point is the elections, a political issue, a political candidates, or even our global pandemic, COVID-19, and all the related matters. On the other hand, what consumes you may be a little closer to home. It may be a relationship that you have with a family member, a spouse, children, parents. Perhaps there's a conflict going on in your life that's eating at you. There are so many matters that take place in our lives, circumstances in our lives, that at some, and then inevitably at some time or other will dominate our thoughts and energies. Now, having thought about that for just a moment, maybe you can't think, maybe there's many things, several things. But having, considering whatever it is that is your consuming matter at this point in your life, ask yourself, how does it relate or fit in with the most important matter in your life. Do these two things correspond or conflict with each other? As creatures of God, given time and energy on earth, and especially as saints who have been redeemed by Christ to love and serve Him, I invite you to ponder what is most consuming you and whether this fits in with the most important priority of your life and mine. Perhaps for you, it may raise the question, well, what is the most important matter, priority in my life? And if you are not sure of what that is, then I hope that this passage will give you a sense of what it could be. That today's passage will reveal to us what was Jesus Christ's greatest priority in his life on earth. As we look to Luke chapter 19, up to this point in the text, Dr. Luke has been recording Jesus' journey towards Jerusalem, where he would die, be raised, and ascend back to heaven. On the way, he has been preparing his disciples for his departure, all the while proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus' priority was to fulfill the purpose for which he was sent here by the Father, and he accomplished that throughout his life. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, summarizes Jesus' priority with the story of a tax collector named Zacchaeus. The final verse of this passage indicates Jesus' priority. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And as one considers his life, we can see how Every twist and turn, every choice, every left or right, every encounter, every word and action, every mountain and valley contributed to the fulfillment of his priority on earth. Now, none of us will ever be like Jesus, but he is a worthy life to emulate. 
that as those of us who are given this brief moment of time on earth, that we would see that every twist and turn, every choice, every right or left, every encounter, every word and action, every mountain and valley, that we would see them all in light of this great priority that Christ lived and that we too ought to similarly live. May this scripture remind us of the priority that we have. And that how every matter and every circumstance in our life may be redeemed to fulfill our great priority. This passage, uh, is, I break it down basically into two parts. It's a simple outline today. And those simply will observe this. Two guiding pursuits that were Jesus' priority on earth. And by example, there are guiding pursuits for our priority on earth. Let's begin and take a look at this passage then. It's a very familiar passage. And, um, but I pray that nevertheless it will encourage your soul and that you would learn something new and be challenged in a new way. Number one, Jesus came to seek the lost. Jesus came to seek the lost in verses 1 through 6. See, although Jesus was a man with a mission, Jesus made time always to seek out lost souls. To seek out lost souls. And in this case, the lost soul is Zacchaeus. The passage begins with Zacchaeus trying to see Jesus in verses 1 through 4. Let's read uh, the text. Verse 1 to 2, notice, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Verse 1 to 2 provide for us a setting. They introduce us to the main character. The city, the place, is Jericho. Jericho, of course, is well known in the, in the Bible because that was the place where God gave the great victory of the Israelites when they began to enter the conquered, the, the, uh, the promised land. But the city of Jericho geographically sits on the road leading from the Jordan River. When you cross the Jordan River heading to Jerusalem, you would inevitably pass through Jericho. We're reminded that Jesus is heading towards that great city, the capital, along with the crowds of worshipers who are going there for the Passover. There is much activity, there is much, much momentum as Jesus passes through Jericho. But even despite that, he stops to seek the lost. You recall the last, week's, last time's passage, previous passage, also took place in Jericho, where Jesus had healed a, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. The beggar had been crying out to Jesus for mercy. And though the crowds were telling him to stop, be quiet, Jesus takes time and stops and calls Bartimaeus to himself and heals him. See, both accounts, this this one and the previous, involve someone wanting to see Jesus, but in some way prevented. And with the blind beggar, and just with the blind beggar, the crowds had told him to be quiet, thinking that he was a bother to the Lord. But yet in both cases, Jesus stops to speak to each man. In this case, the individual is a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector. Like all of the tax collectors in that day, he was considered a traitor to his people, ceremonially unclean, morally bankrupt, and consequently ostracized from the community of Israel. His only company was other tax collectors, but even among them, he was different because he was a chief tax collector. You know, uh, you see, there, there were regular tax collectors who sat in booths collecting various taxes like Levi was, also known as Matthew. 
Then there were chief tax collectors, whom the regular tax collectors paid uh, for their taxes to. And in the inland areas of Israel, taxes were collected in only three locations. Capernaum, where Matthew had served, Jerusalem, the capital, and Jericho. Zacchaeus was sitting on a pyramid. He was one of, in a sense, owner of one of three franchises. He was the head of the, the pyramid here. It's no surprise that he was rich. He had no lack for earthly comforts and pleasures. He was, as we might say today, among the 1%. But something is missing in Zacchaeus' life, and his actions show it. Look at verse 3. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. Zacchaeus had heard of Jesus. He had heard of who he was and what he did, and he wanted to see this Jesus for himself. It was like Herod Antipas, who was also wanting and trying to see Jesus. And we ask ourselves here, why does a rich, wealthy tax collector want to see Jesus, a devout teacher and worker of miracles? Perhaps he had heard of how Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and to a man who probably had very few friends. And even the friends that he had, he wasn't so quite so sure if they really were. But here... In this Jesus, was one known to be a friend to tax collectors and sinners like him. Why would this teacher of the law, this rabbi, associate with tax collectors? And to friendless Zacchaeus, he may have wondered, would this Jesus be his friend? What's more, for Zacchaeus, though he was rich, it could not buy him any happiness or contentment or peace. You recall what Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And certainly Zacchaeus had felt the griefs that the love of money had caused in his life. Most significantly, he had caused him to wander away from the faith. He was not even allowed to really participate in the life of the synagogue. They would not welcome him because he was unclean. Why would God welcome a sinner like him? Certainly God's people did not welcome him. This Jesus was the only ray of hope for Zacchaeus. And though he wanted to see Jesus, he was trying to see Jesus, here in this particular instance, he was unable. It was because he was small in stature, he was short. He could not see over the crowds. And the, you can get this picture that the crowds were abundant. Like it was just lining up and down the streets. This is more packed than some of our San Francisco parades. And he wants to see, so he can't see. This would be his best opportunity to see Jesus. So he has to do something. He is determined to see Jesus. We see he becomes resourceful. Verse 4. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, and for he was about to pass through that way. The sycamore tree was, uh, would be a tree that would grow up to heights of 40, some say 60 feet even, but it was probably most best known because it has wide branches. 
It would just extend widely. And it was pretty easy to climb up these trees and sit on one of these branches. And that's what Zacchaeus does. He climbs up one of the branches above the crowds in order to, to see Jesus. And we might not think much about it, but in Jewish culture in that day, this was undignified behavior. Not only running, which was really, that's undignified even for older men, but to climb up into a tree. This is like what kids do. This is what children do. This is not what dignified people do. Especially of a man of his importance. But Jesus was about to pass through that way. And Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. This could be his only opportunity to see Jesus. In dignity or not, he would do what was needed to see Jesus. He would get a glimpse of the man as he passed. But what Zacchaeus did not expect was that while he was trying to see Jesus, Jesus was seeking him. We see this in verse, verses 5 to 6. Jesus seeks Zacchaeus. Verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Picture the scene. This is just an amazing scene. It's a, Jesus is walking along on the road in Jer- on a path in Jericho, road in Jericho. He is surrounded by his disciples, all his followers. He's walking through the town. Along each side of the roads are crowds of onlookers. And, and this is not a quiet procession. This is a noisy procession. There's a, there's a sense of praise and joy that's going on, that's being shouted by the crowds. Loudest of all among the crowds is one who as was once a blind beggar who had once sat at the front gates begging for alms, but now he's, for whatever reason, is able to see and he's shouting and he's giving thanks to God and he's praising the Lord and he's telling everybody, I was blind, but this man, this son of David, has healed me. Praise the Lord with me. And everyone who's hearing this testimony, who knows Bartimaeus, who saw him at the gates, saw him begging, is also joining along with the crowds and just praising God and rejoicing in this Jesus who is walking among them. And this noisy throng is moving along with Jesus. <laughs> and it's, it's like, what could stop this, this, this crowd? You think nothing could stop this crowd. Then all of a sudden, Jesus stops. And he looks up, up into the sycamore tree. And everyone else's eyes look up into the sycamore tree. And there, sitting on a branch, completely undignified, shamelessly, sits Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector of Jericho. (laughs) It's like, you know, walking around and then all of a sudden seeing maybe uh, the mayor of our city or the governor of our state or even the president of our nation climbing up a tree. Like, what are you doing up there? That's no place for you to be. All eyes look up at Zacchaeus, and lo and behold, there he is sitting. And though they've never met, Jesus addresses then Zacchaeus by name. 
See, Jesus knows his name. Jesus, as the omniscient son of God, knows everything about Zacchaeus, as he did so with many others. He knows this man's heart, desire, and thoughts. That's a, I pray that it may be a comforting thought to you, that Jesus knows your name, and Jesus knows your desires, and Jesus knows your thoughts, and he knows exactly what you need. And Jesus calls Zacchaeus, and he calls and he commands him actually to hurry and come down from the tree. There's an urgency here to this call of Jesus. Hurry up and come down. Why? The reason? For today, I must stay at your house. Today, I must stay in your house, Zacchaeus. Notice the use of the word must. It is a verb that conveys divine necessity. It's uh, oftentimes we find in the Gospel of Luke it conveys that this was something that was necessary as a fulfillment of God's plan. Jesus' life and ministry was a fulfillment of Scripture as well as the Father's will and plan, including this very moment when Jesus would stay at the home of this unexpected tax collector in Jericho. Jesus came to seek this lost tax collector. Zacchaeus responds in verse 6 to the request. We read, And he heard and came down and received him gladly. The request of Jesus, the words of Jesus to Zacchaeus was, was better than anything he could have imagined. Anything he could have hoped for. He was just hoping to get a glimpse of him, just to see him. But now he gets to not only see him, but he gets to share a meal with him. He gets to talk with him. He gets to know him. And so you can see the response. of uh, it's, 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 an, uh, it's a, uh, an eager response. He, he obeys Jesus' commands exactly and immediately. The words are repeated. Just as Jesus said, hurry and come down. Well, that's exactly what it is. He hurried and came down. Hurries and comes down from the tree. And in response, receives Jesus into his home. He receives him gladly. The verb for received means to, to welcome or to entertain a, a guest as in, one's, in one's house. It was used earlier back in chapter 10, verse 38, when Martha welcomed Jesus into her home. Zacchaeus would provide food and lodging to Jesus, and he does it all gladly, joyfully. It was confirmation that Zacchaeus wanted to meet and know Jesus. He wanted to know who he was, how this rabbi could be a friend to tax collectors and sinners. And because Jesus sought him out, he would get to know the very one who would offer to him that which was missing in his life, that which he could sense was wrong, everything else. He had everything, but he had nothing. Jesus would take the time to share with him the gospel of the kingdom of God and how everyone, even a sinful tax collector, could enter it through faith in the king. Now this leads us then to the second part of the story and the second pursuit that formed Jesus' priority. For Jesus came not only to seek the lost, but Jesus came to save the lost. Find this in verses 7 to 10. Jesus came to save the lost. 
Now, jaws begin to drop when Jesus goes to stay with Zacchaeus that night in Jericho. They can't believe it. It's like, uh, it's like if you're a, <laughs> it's, it's like going to stay with someone who is, is just known to become desperately wicked and evil. So why would you go stay with someone who's desperately wicked and evil? But that's what Jesus does. We see this uh, in the, uh, we see the people's response in verse 7. Verse 7. When they saw it, that is, the crowd saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. There's a shock here. There's a, there's a disappointment here. Have you ever been disappointed in people? Because of the choices they make? You think, oh man, how can they do that? They're sinning. That's what people were thinking of Jesus. But they were wrong. Jesus in this one thing, in this act, was doing something, was doing completely exactly what he has always been doing. Coming to seek and to save the lost. Several times earlier in the Gospel of Luke, the religious leaders had criticized Jesus for associating with sinners. Luke 5.30, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Luke 7.39, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Luke 15.2, This man receives sinners and eats with them. All these words were attributed to the Pharisees and scribes. But now it's not just the religious leaders, it's the crowds that are thinking this. They're grumbling and they're criticizing Jesus. In their minds, no self-respecting rabbi would associate with a sinner. In their minds, they were not sinners. They were righteous people. For Jesus to associate with them, that would be okay. But for him to associate with a tax collector, a sinner like that, that is not okay. These sinners, the, the, the people that they call sinners, were basically those Jews who did not observe the law of God. In their minds, these sinners were as good as heathen. They were the Gentiles. They were without hope of ever being saved. In their minds, a rabbi, a, a godly rabbi at least, should be spending time with the righteous people. The ones who already were saved, at least according to their own understanding. These tax collectors were not among the righteous. They were among the chief of the sinners. There is this, this oozing disdain as Jesus stays in this home of traitorous, unclean, immoral Zacchaeus. Just because you spend time or associate with someone who is immoral, it does not make you immoral. In their minds, the world's minds, sinners are the people who are to be shunned. Sinners are people who really are not worth the time of day. But Zacchaeus, here he's heard these, these grumblings before. 
And now he's hearing it again. He's kind of grumbling that he is a task, he is a sinner. And he responds in verse 8. See in verse, Zacchaeus' response in verse 8. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. See, somewhere in the conversation with Jesus, as he had received Jesus into his home, eventually he had also received Jesus into his heart. He had, his life has been changed. It's been transformed. And Zacchaeus had responded with faith in the Lord to the, the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And his salvation is confirmed later by Jesus' words in verse 9, but it is evidenced by Zacchaeus' words here in verse 8. Jesus' with presence with Zacchaeus had led to a radical transformation of his life. This sinner's life was turned upside down. His direction was completely 180. Notice he begins by calling Jesus now Lord and Master. Perhaps even a recognition of him as Messiah, as God. And he then offers to do two things. Number one, he first offers to give half his possessions to the poor. We'll give 50%, half of it, to the poor. It was a generous gesture. Indicates a, a change of life direction. Instead of being a t of one who took advantage and cheated people, he is now helping people, especially those who are in need. Significantly, this is in contrast to the rich young ruler just a few passages ago, whom when asked by Jesus to go sell all his possessions and give to the money to the poor and follow him, the rich young ruler turned away, walked away from Jesus, sadly. But without even being asked, Zacchaeus offers to give half of his possessions, half of his wealth to the poor. It reflects a change of heart that understands that all he has belongs to the Lord. And when we follow the Lord, it belongs to him and is to be used for him and for his glory and for his honor. Number two, secondly, Zacchaeus offers to make restitution to those he defrauded. As a rich tax collector, he had clearly defrauded other people. Even in the grammar here, it says, if I defraud, it's a, the grammar indicates that, yeah, and the implication is, it expects that, yes, I have defrauded people. Basically, whoever I, since I've defrauded people, I will pay them back four times as much. To give back four times as much was far above and beyond the law's requirement. And Zacchaeus' newfound generosity reflected a faith in the Lord and a genuine heart of repentance. This is what's pictured here. This is a repentance, a 180 degree change in his life. Not only does he want to start helping people, but he also wants to make right the wrongs that he's, that he's committed. This is evidence and fruit of a life that is given to the Lord, life that is saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of now, instead of now, instead of serving uh, wealth as he once did he now serves God with his wealth he knows that he can no longer serve two masters he, serves, he cannot serve two masters he can only serve one and he chooses to serve God he serves Jesus with his wealth and he makes a sincere effort to right the wrongs that he's committed that's Zacchaeus' response 
And so to this then we see in the last two verses of this passage, Jesus' response in verse 9 and 10. And Jesus said to him, to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. And for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus is addressing Zacchaeus. He's affirming him even as he's answering the grumbling of the crowds who had been written off Zacchaeus as one who could not be saved. Jesus affirms that on this particular day, on that day, salvation had come to Zacchaeus through faith. The reason is because Zacchaeus is also a son of Abraham. They might have treated him not as a son of Abraham. They might have not treated him and welcomed him as a Jew, but he still nevertheless was a son of Abraham. And Jesus came to bring salvation to his people, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentiles. See, in the context of this passage, people thought that his sins as a tax collector precluded him from the hope of Israel, precluded him from the hope of salvation that belonged to the people of God, to Israelites that was part of their heritage as descendants of Abraham, descendants of the promise that God promised through which blessing would come and through which they would be a blessing to the rest of the world. But Jesus' point is that no amount of sin can prevent anyone from receiving salvation through faith in Him. Jesus had come to seek and to save that which was lost. You remember the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, and back in chapter 15. Remember, all those things were lost. Why were, why, did, why were they sought? Because they belonged to someone. And that's why the one who lost them was seeking for them. And this son of Abraham belongs to Jesus belongs to the king and he came to seek and to save these lost people who belong to him and though he's lost because of sin Jesus affirms that it's such people that he can't come to seek and to save there's no one who can be too sinful, too far gone, they would be left out of the hope and the promise of salvation for those who believe. You see, the transformation of Zacchaeus is a fitting picture of Jesus' priority and purposes on earth. He came to seek and save the lost sinners. And through the gospel, Jesus has been seeking and saving lost sinners all those who have been written off as helpless and hopeless and unworthy. Jesus came to save the outcasts of society, the people that think that everyone else thinks don't deserve to be saved. The people that you and I think don't deserve to be saved even. Jesus came to save even them. That should change how we view our enemies how we view those that we disagree with who vote differently from us, who have different, have different convictions about different matters. Jesus came to seek and save lost sinners. 
He saved lepers and paralytics. He saved tax collectors. He saved prostitutes. He saved demon-possessed people. He saved those with lifelong illness. See, there's no one that is too far away or too insignificant or too sinful to be saved by the Lord. And we should praise God. for this because that means that none of us are too far too sor too sinful too insignificant to be saved by the Lord even a rich man can be saved recall what Jesus said back in Luke 18 25 and 27 it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God but look Lo and behold, look here. Lazarus. Not Lazarus. Zacchaeus comes to saving faith. He finds salvation. Why? Because as Jesus said, the things which are impossible with people are possible with God. Zacchaeus gives all of us hope. For his salvation makes it possible for everyone's salvation through faith in Jesus. If you're listening with us this morning and you are a sinner who has turned away from God, and for whatever reason the Lord has been working in your heart and making you come, you're like Zacchaeus climbing on the tree to see Jesus, to check it out, to see if this something about Jesus that could answer the longing and the hole in your heart. The Lord wants you to know that He came to seek and to save people just like you. Now, today, He didn't come to call the righteous to salvation. He came to call sinners to repentance. And if you seek Him, you will find Him. In fact, you will find that he has been seeking you. Be like Zacchaeus, who was willing to endure whatever shame or cost to follow Jesus. Jesus calls you to come to him and to turn away from sin and to follow after him. Jesus was heading on this, in this passage to Jerusalem to die for your sins. And he died and he made the payment for the penalty of your sins, which is eternal separation from God in hell. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. In light of that, will you turn to him today in faith? Because today, as you're listening right now to this message and hearing this word, Jesus is passing your way. Will you hurry and come down and receive him gladly into your heart? For Jesus has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That includes you. Will you turn to him today? Will you pray and ask Him to save you? Will you ask Him to forgive you of your sins and
help you to live for Him? Will you confess Him as Lord of your life? Will you follow after Him? For today can be a day of salvation for you. As we conclude, remember the question that I asked at the beginning of our sermon? What is the most consuming matter for you at this moment? God, who is in control, allows many things to take place in our lives for our sanctification and service to Him. And as you consider what it consumes you, can you see how that fits with the mission to seek and save the lost? Can you see how that fits and how God has allows it to fit into that purpose? Now, that's true. Some matters that consume us, you just may have to let go because they're hindering you from following His mission for you. But many matters, even conflicts, politics, pandemics, and pursuits, are, can be opportunities for the gospel of grace to be mani- made manifest. You see, the key is his dissatisfaction with his own possessions and pursuits of wealth are the circumstances that the Lord used to bring the gospel to bear upon his life, to cause him to seek after Jesus who was seeking him. And when he found salvation, those same possessions that became, that would cause him to satisfy became a testimony and an instrument for the good news of Jesus Christ, which he did joyfully and gladly. Ask yourself, how can the gospel of Jesus Christ be proclaimed and are magnified through the matters that consume my life today? How can they be used to be redeemed for the mission of seeking and saving the lost? Think about that. Ponder about that. I also want to leave us Christians with another final challenge. That sometimes I fear that we are so busy in the church that we stop being the church to the world. I hear and see many of you involved in the life of this church, which is good. But oftentimes we we limit ourselves, we, we limit our, the, the extent of our Christian life to simply Bible studies, prayer, and fellowship. And that is it. That we neglect the response of our lives as we go out to the world, our outreach, our, our evangelism. And by the way, I'm including myself in this. Will you spend time this week actively thinking about ways that you can seek and save the loss that God has placed in your life? One, one more thing, kind of just related to this. Perhaps you might consider this even as a beginning step for you. I know it's a small thing, but one of the thoughts that came to my mind earlier during the pandemic is I was thinking about how can we as a church um, be a salt and light to our community? And that was by, and I, I thought about giving blood. I'd done so before, and I thought, oh, that'd be kind of cool. Maybe we as a church could do it. And by, in giving blood, we're giving a part of our life. We're giving of ourselves. 
But when, as we give ourselves, we, that blood is used for the saving of physical lives. Right? You may have read articles that during this pandemic there's been a decreased supply. People just are not going out to clinics. They fear the risk of being exposed to COVID-19. But here's a small yet, in a way, big step that you can take to be the church to the world. That you might, yes, you'll, you will have, there will be some risk. When you, but we'll be having um, an organization, Vitalin, one of the blood uh, companies, uh, donation companies that are going to come here. They're going to set up shop right here in the worship hall. And that on November 24th, from 1 to 6 p.m., that's a Tuesday, by the way. I, yeah, it may be inconvenient, but, well, sometimes you just got to stop and look for opportunities. And I hope that you can fit it in your schedule. Let me just fill up, sign up. Uh, the links on the is uh, put up for you here. And we can, in this way, small, small way, be a church that shows love to the world. Now, I know we're not going to be able to shout the gospel through this way because most of it's just, it's, it's purely limited at this point, our first time, to the church members only or to the church, or church regular attenders. But I tell you, there's going to be workers who are coming to collect the blood from us. People who may not know Jesus. And can you imagine 20, 25 people coming through and uh, say half of us get the opportunity to even just say, even a quarter of us have something to give, to say something about Jesus as we interact with uh, these workers? That's a, that's a great testimony. Uh, But I'm hoping that as we do this regularly, as we um, eventually we can then um, make an event that we would invite our community to participate in, to join us. And eventually, as others of you may come up with other outreach community events, you may think of something you want to do, and uh, some of you are doing different things, uh, uh, individually as well. We may become known as not just a church that's known for our love for Christ, but then we become known as a church that's known for its love for our neighbors, a love for our community. And ultimately, they will come to know that we love our community because we, because we love Christ, who came to seek and save the lost. Well, this passage shows us the pursuit and priority of our Lord Jesus Christ. He came to seek and save the lost, and as those who have been found and saved by His mercy, we have much reason to give thanks. As those who have been saved, we have a responsibility to carry on His mission to also seek and save the lost, to make disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. But let it be not as a, a drudgery, but as a joyful delight, as a joyful outflow of a thankful heart like Zacchaeus, who readily gave his life his half of his possessions to serve the Lord. And as you reflect upon these truths, let's join together in singing our final song today.